0: And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Let's face it, many many of us know nothing about Italian politics. And so when we see a story, uh, pop onto the front page, or we see a YouTube uh, clip of uh, a candidate, uh, and we see that this candidate says things that we resonate with, Well, you might get excited about it. So we had uh, recently, there's been actually an old statement from the uh, woman uh, who's recently been elected, I think, president or prime minister, and we'll actually sort that out in just a moment, Georgia Maloney. And she made this statement, why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There is a single answer to all these questions because the family defines us. It's our identity. Because everything that defines us is now an enemy for those who would like us to no longer have an identity and to simply become perfect consumer slaves. And so they attack national identity. They attack religious identity. They attack gender identity. They attack family identity. I can't define myself as an Italian, a Christian, a woman, a mother. No. I must be Citizen K., or gender K, or parent 1, or parent 2. I must be a number, because when I'm only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators. Well, that clip was sent around recently, and uh, it's the words of uh, Georgia Maloney, uh, who's with the Brothers of Italy party. And to find out more of what she has achieved and what her party you know, represents there, uh, rest assured, uh, she's being accused of being a fascist and being a lover of Mussolini, and we'll sort all that out. But with me right now to do, the, do it is Kishore Jayabalan, chairman of the Commission on Catholic Social Teaching for the, direct, for the Diocese of Lansing. From 20, 2005 to 2019, he directed the Rome office of the Acton Institute. Before that, he served as staff member of the Vatican's Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace, a diplomatic attache for the Permanent Observer Mission of the Holy See to the United Nations in New York. And, um, well, it's good to have you with me again, Keisha. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Al. It's great to be with you.
0: Let's start. Who is this woman, Georgia Maloney?
1: Yes. So, Georgia Maloney, um, really quite remarkably for a country like Italy, um, is the first female uh, I noticed you said Prime Minister it's actually the President of the Council of Ministers in Italy, but colloquially we can say Prime Minister, um, really the head of the of the coalition government that's just that, that just came into into power and she had served as a youth minister, the minister for the, the head of the Ministry for Youth under a previous Berlusconi government. but as a leader of a coalition in Italy, she's really um, come to the forefront. And all the media reaction to her, um, rather than really celebrating what should be a, you know, a historic first, the first woman, but because she's not of the left, she's getting criticized.
0: Yeah, and so her,
1: par- her party, this fr- the Brothers of, Ital- of Italy, is of course the, the main target because it, it has some derivation from the Italian Social Movement Party, which has some relationship with the past uh, fascist party in Mussolini, so of course that, that's getting everybody's attention. But it's also meant that nobody be deceived. It's also meant to discredit her social conservatism and her pride in being um, an Italian and being a Catholic and and standing up to the kind of progressive agenda.
0: Yeah. So girl power is only to be celebrated uh, when it's girls of the left.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, we saw that, of course, with with Margaret Thatcher. Yep. Right. I mean. Uh, you know you're not you're not considered a true woman or a minority unless you're on the left so you know i yeah. mean this is old hat really for in western politics and it's really unfortunate and i think it actually adds to people getting disgusted with the left and voting for people like georgia maloney yeah because yeah. you know people say like you, you're so obviously biased and prejudiced against anybody who doesn't give you power right to the left and you know what's remarkable now is that you know she's She's being looked at as a as a closet authoritarian, even though she's pro Ukraine and pro European Union. She's being looked at as a threat to democracy um, just because she's not of the left. And the the irony is, of course, she replaced a technocratic government, which took power away from a democratically elected right wing government just four years ago. <laughs> so the the charge of being undemocratic is is really is really rich and and not at all. You know, in in keeping in line with the truth of the way things actually are. Yeah.
0: You know, they apply the throw the word fascist at her, and of course, I'm not sure anybody even knows what that means any longer. I mean, even in 1944, Orwell said the word had little meaning, and that was just what a year or two after uh, Mussolini was deposed. So it's it's a, it's a pejorative term. What they want to point to, though, is they say, "Well, look, uh, her." political party has this tricolor flame as its emblem, and that goes back to uh, Mussolini's day. Uh, What do you make of that?
1: Well, I mean, I, I mentioned that there was a party, the Italian Social Movement Party, which was the predecessor to the Brothers of Italy. What did have some of the kind of fascist members of Italy were part of that. Now, I mean, nobody's talking about bringing back fascism in Italy. This is all about <laughs> what's happening now, right? Right. This is about, this is about the, um, that she's, she's pro life, right? She's against the LGBT agenda. She's against unrestricted illegal immigration, right? And these yep. are the, these are the big issues. And of course, she was against the COVID lockdowns. Now, her party was not part of the most recent technocratic government. So, she was in a position to be able to criticize without being part of the government before. And those COVID lockdowns in Italy were very, very severe. Yes, I remember. You couldn't leave your house without a permit.
0: Yep, I remember in, that. And
1: in, in the country, right? Yep. And I think people are rebelling against this kind of, I mean, again, it's funny because the real authoritarians are on the left. She was rebelling, leading a movement against the technocratic government, which wasn't elected, which is driving the economy into the ground, which is really diluting Italian identity with with unmitigated immigration, right?
0: And they've got bad unemployment, right?
1: Unemployment's high. um, Economic growth is slow. But that's that's been the case in Italy for a while. The immigration issue remains a very important one in Italy. And I say this as a dark-skinned immigrant who lived in Italy for 20 years, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. Italians are very welcoming as a nation. But at the same time, since 2015, when Angela Merkel decided to open the floodgates not just to Germany, but to all of Europe. Um, and Italy being on the southernmost part of Europe um, in the Mediterranean is, is much more prone than any other country in it, in Europe to immigration. Especially through Libya, you're getting a lot of African and uh, Muslim immigrants, and that is bound to change the character of the nation. Right. And I think a lot of people in Italy are saying, look, we want to be welcoming, we want to welcome the stranger, and we're we're open to helping certainly refugees and asylum seekers. But mass immigration, and this is happening all over the West, mass immigration does change the character of a country. I remember when I first moved to Italy, um, there was an outspoken uh, conservative Catholic Archbishop in Bologna, Cardinal Beefy, who said that he's all for bringing in more Filipinos and Nigerians because they tend to be Catholics (laughs) as as immigrants and get a better cultural fit into the country. And, of course, he's attacked for that. But he purposely chose non-white yeah. Filipinos and Nigerians to say this is not about race, right? This is about beliefs and culture. We, as a Catholic country, should be able to choose who enters our country, and sure. and that kind of thing really rankles the left, um, the multiculturalist left, which doesn't want. It's almost ashamed of its Christianity when it comes to protecting the the core tenets of the faith. It wants Christianity when it, when it again when it agrees with a progressive left-wing agenda so on the environment on uh peace matters on immigration but on anything to do with right-wing matters it's it's a different story
0: yeah yeah uh she's so see, she's been opposed to lgbtq policies she has been an opponent of unrestricted uh, immigration uh she's good on the life issues i su- i suppose
1: Yes, yes. I mean, you know, I think she's in Italy, you know, of course, the politics of something like abortion are are quite different than here. Um, Their abortion laws were not as unrestricted um, as they were under Roe v. Wade here, and and, as they, again, could be. Like, we're talking in the state of Michigan now. We could have um, something even worse than Roe v. Wade in in a few weeks. But at the same time, I think she's say, she's making a, a cultural stand. I mean, I, I'm not sure how much of the pro-life movement is trying to change the laws on abortion in the place like Italy. But, you know, she is taking a cultural stand in favor of life. And, and that by itself is remarkable to say that um, she's a single mother, to, you know, to say that I, I stand with other single mothers to be able to say that life is a better choice than abortion um, is, of, is of great cultural importance in Italy. Has uh,
0: uh, Pope Francis said anything, or has the Vatican officials had anything to say about her? uh? So the
1: Vatican typically tries to stay out of Italian politics directly. They'll they'll leave that to the Italian Bishops' Conference. And the Italian Bishops' Conference offered a very vaguely worded, um, generic type of statement, um, raising the immigration issue, I would say, above all. But, um, again, careful not to criticize too much mm-hmm. the the incoming government, so I think they're they're very wary that um, the people are with the government on this. <laughs> you know <laughs> that you can't, you know, you don't want to, you know, alienate the, yeah. the rank and file uh, people. And so again, it was a very vague, vaguely worded statement. And and of course, um, it's, you know, everyone knows where Pope Francis stands on you know making a priority out of out of these more left wing issues. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's been a very tepid response so far. Okay. Think, you know, another problem in Italy, of course, is that governments come and go, right? Right. So even though right. she won, now she's in a coalition, and all it takes, right, is for one of her coalition partners to say, um, "We want out of the coalition," and the government could collapse. So most of my Italian friends, while they're happy with the results of the election, are not sure how long this Maloney government can last.
0: Yeah, let me go back to a technicality that. Uh, I'd like to have clarified, and that is, wh- what what is the relationship between president and prime minister? Are they two separate offices? I know the uh, uh, you know, you've got. I think the president selects the prime minister, but what is the exact relationship here? Because I can't tell from the just the way it's being reported.
1: Right. So, so the president of the republic um is the is the kind of figurehead head of state formally of the of the government. Okay. And um so they don't call the you know, like what I what I initially call the president of the council of ministers, um what we would call the prime minister. They often refer to it as premier. So it's better instead of saying two presidents, um it's better to say president of, of the republic, which is the kind of honorary overseer of the government, of the state of
0: Italy. Kishore, hold it there. We'll come back on the other side of the break and continue. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, continuing conversation with Kishore J. about the Italian elections and the rise of uh, Georgia Maloney whose uh, quote from a few years ago from a speech she gave at the World Meeting of Families has been circulating, getting people's attention. Also, I should mention to you, YouTube actually took down uh, that quote, at least at one site where it appeared, claiming that it violated their community standards. Thankfully, people over at Reason Magazine challenged YouTube on it, and now YouTube said they erred in removing uh, that statement of hers. Uh, uh, I should also say that it wasn't universally removed from all uh, websites, but it was removed from the one particular one at least. Before the break, we were talking about uh, Italy, and just trying to clarify uh, the president, prime minister. Let me ask, it, it, when, in the pecking order of a hierarchy, where is she? Uh, she, she it was, she's not number one. So is she number two or three or four? No, no.
1: She well, she, no. She she's number one in the sense that she's the head of the government, right? Okay. So the difference between the head of state and the head of government in the United States we don't have this distinction, yes. but in many other countries they do. Well, in England, so, the Queen
0: example, was head of st- head of state, and right, and and uh, yes. the Prime Minister was head of the government.
1: Yes, and the Prime Minister in a parliamentary system, um, you know, the the Prime Minister, right, is the there's a council of ministers, and the prime minister is the first among those. Right. So Maloney, in, in American English, we would definitely say prime minister. But in Italian, the title is the president of the council of ministers.
0: Gotcha, so, gotcha.
1: Italians don't want to keep things simple, so they have two presidents. You ought to call it that. But in English, we say prime minister for what Maloney's doing. Yeah. And so she, she is the, the uh, putative head of the Italian government, no question. Now, the president of the republic... Um, does have an important function in confirming who the prime minister is. Gotcha. Now, typically, the president of the republic is a very old, elderly statesman, stays above the fray, doesn't uh, involve himself in the actual politics of the government. But if you, if you and your listeners might remember, in 2018, when Matteo Salvini, another right-wing politician, was uh, about to become Prime Minister, um, there was all kinds of, of interventions done to make sure that the coalition didn't put him at the front of the government and made him an interior minister, along with the Five Star Movement, which was kind of a more of a left wing populist movement. So okay. they have ways of of throwing a monkey wrench into the gears if they don't like who's elected. Okay, um, and so that, that that could always happen, but I don't think so. That it will happen with Maloney. Um, I have actually I haven't heard that from any of the my Italian friends, and I haven't seen that in the Italian press. Yeah. But, as I said um, before the break, um, you know, with these coalition governments in Italy, all it takes is some internal strife um, among the parties, and the government can collapse. So it's never quite clear how long the government will last. They don't have a fixed term, say, like four or five years, um, through which they can just simply cover.
0: And why do you think uh, she is as popular as she is in Italy right now?
1: Well, part, but I would say the main reason is that she wasn't part of the technocratic government that had been in power, right? The mm-hmm. last okay,
0: so she's so different. Avoiding
1: being yeah. in power is often uh, the best way to be popular, right? Because you're not right. making the hard decisions. Right,
0: exactly. You can't,
1: you can't take any flack at things that have been that have been um, proposed and put into place. And as I mentioned also, the COVID restrictions in Italy were very unpopular and very restrictive. Um People might remember at the beginning of 2020 when uh, there were vaccine passports being issued in Italy. There were protests against the passports and people were burning their vaccine passports. And it was very interesting, not because of the, they weren't doing this in the name of individual personal liberties um, to not be vaccinated. They were doing it because other people might not have those passports. So they were doing it almost in solidarity. They were burning their passports in solidarity with those who didn't have the vaccine, vaccinations done. It was a very interesting dynamic and that kind of sense of solidarity that exists still among the Italian people that didn't want to see people discriminated against for not being vaccinated.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So does what role does the Catholic faith play in, among Italian politicians? How significant is it? Is it pretty much separated out from public life? Is it is Italy a secular uh, uh, a state as, say, the United States?
1: Italy is, is secularizing like every other Western state, but it hasn't gone as far down the road. Okay. Now, rather than framing it in terms of the Catholic faith, I would say Catholic culture has become um, increasingly important as a political factor. So post-World War Italy with the Christian Democratic parties, you had Christian Democrats of the right and Christian Democrats of the left. Mm -hmm. And that kind of held the center together and kept the communists out of power. Yep. Post-Cold War, the Christian Democratic parties had kind of splintered and fallen away. And it looked like, you know, that was kind of the end of political Catholicism as a political Mm force. But with the rise of uh, Silvia Berlusconi as kind of a rich, populist, Uh, politician, like with Donald Trump, he was kind of the proto-Trump, I would say. Okay, Um, That kind of changed the dynamics of things, because then it became much more about insider-outsider politics, similar to what we saw in the UK and what we see here. And the immigration issue um, became a lightning rod. And the immigration issue, because the church had been kind of on the fence with the immigration issue, it didn't want to be seen as uh, excluding non-Christians from coming into the country, right. with the exception of Cardinal Beefy, as I mentioned in the last segment, um, you know, it, it left a vacuum, a political vacuum, for somebody like a Matteo Salvini or a Giorgio Meloni to come in and say, "I'm defending Italy. I'm defending Catholic Italy. I'm defending Catholic civilization."
0: Yes, yes. In the
1: name. Of restricting immigration. And that's, I think, a, a big part of that is because the bishops have been reluctant to be critical of unrestricted mass illegal immigration, which, by the way, is also very dangerous for the immigrants, right, coming over on rafts from Africa and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So th- they could have made a humanitarian uh, argument against illegal immigration, mm-hmm. but they, they didn't do that because I think they didn't want to be seen as xenophobic or chauvinistic or anti-muslim or right. whatever it may be.
0: Why can't I mean this it, this puzzles me. Why can't this, the culture issue be raised? We we do know that uh you know there's a uh, immigrants bring with them uh a culture, oftentimes a language. Uh and that's to be—that's something to be concerned about, uh, one way or the other. You you take a look at uh, nations and what is the glue that holds them together. You mentioned uh, after World War II, uh, you had Catholic Democrat politicians, well, some of the right, some of the left. But what held it together was this idea of Catholic, uh, Catholic culture. So within the Catholic culture, you could be to the right or to the left. The—, the this question of culture is, seems to be ignored by uh, most modern politicians. It's as though it makes no difference that somebody coming from another culture enters this culture, and they, you know, they make no, have no effect whatsoever. I, I, I don't understand the refusal to weigh the cultural component of this immigration argument.
1: Well, I I mentioned the term um, multiculturalism before, right? And I think that multiculturalism is kind of the broad reason why any single culture is not considered to be worth defending. So as we've gone to more globalized world with more open borders and easier travel and these kinds of things, um, the idea of standing up for one's culture has come to be seen as A, as being kind of, Prejudicial if not even bigoted. Yeah. So as a result of that, especially in big cities, right, where cosmopolitan tend oh, sure. to live, right. right? You have to be more open to people from all races yes. and ethnicities and religions and those kinds of things. That makes it much harder to defend your culture as being somehow superior to others. And something to which people immigrants ought to be assimilated into. Right? So yeah. this is, I think that's part of the explanation for it. Um,
0: but the the, the irony course, is right? the, the irony is that in claiming uh, a f- uh, by favoring quote multiculturalism, it ends up leaving a vacuum. No culture then is actually favored. Uh, you have this abstraction called multiculturalism, and
1: that's uh, right. And, uh, and it wa- it's it waters down all yeah, cultures and religions yeah right. Now, of course, when immigrants come, they don't know this. So, so when Muslim immigrants come to, to Italy, right, they're still practicing Islam as yes, they wish. of course. And there, there's a clash, right? There's a little bit of a, of a tension. And, of course, over generations, the children tend to assimilate more than the immigrants. So right. when I first moved to Rome 20 years ago, there were hardly any immigrants in my neighborhood. But by the time I left 20 years later, there were many Filipino, for example, mm-hmm. children that mm-hmm. spoke perfect Italian even with a Roman accent, right? Because they became Romans. They were born and raised in Italy, and they assimilated those customs. But again, it depends what you're teaching them, right? If you're teaching them, of course, they all follow Italian soccer, right? That's a big cultural marker Mm -hmm. of being an Italian. It used to be that also practicing the Catholic faith. Now, as I mentioned, Italy is secularizing not as rapidly as some other Western European countries, but it is secularizing. So there is room for the church, and if the if the bishops won't do it, um, politicians will take advantage of this and say there's room for defending who we are, right, as a civilization, as a culture. And of course, Italy being an ancient civilization, um, these things don't go away very easily. Right. And if if people perceive that you're ashamed or embarrassed to be what we once were. Um, you know, people will pick up on them. They'll sense there's something wrong, right? That you're not, you're not being proud of who you are right. in the country. And that really does turn people off. People don't like to see their homes and their, their countries denigrated, no. by their, especially by their own politicians, right? No. So you would think this is a no-brainer, but this it's a big blind spot for that kind of cosmopolitan um, elitist left to not recognize that people... Are proud of their homes and and <laughs> we want to defend it. Um, not to, you know they don't want to kick out immigrants. No, they want people to come to a place <laughs> and respect what where they're coming. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, let me s- switch gears a little bit because um, these kind of questions about Christ, about culture, about church and world, uh, about uh, creative scholarship and uh, active faith. These kind of questions are going to be taken up in this Kateri Institute for Catholic Studies that you've been uh, developing. Uh, tell us what it is and where you are in the process.
1: Yes, the, so the Kateri Institute is the is the Kateri, uh, okay. We, yeah, we, need, we need to put a pronunciation card on the website. I will do that. Um, <laughs> name, name, <laughs> named after St. Kateri so uh, speaking of multiculturalism, uh St. I'm sure everybody knows who Saint Catherine is, but she was known as the Lily of the Mohawks, right? The first um, Native American saint uh, who lived in the seventh century in kind of what is now upstate New York and, and lower Quebec, uh, a convert to the to the Catholic faith, um, who who really stood up for her faith in very difficult circumstances among the Iroquois people, and it. Um, it's a neat kind of patron saint for what we're trying to do with the Catholic Studies Institute at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. U of M, of course, is a very multicultural place that doesn't you know, want to hear yep. necessarily about Catholic identity. So we thought this is the best name to use to promote Catholic Studies and, at a big section at American University.
0: And people can learn more about it at kateri.org, K-A-T-E-R-I dot org. Is that right?
1: No, kateriinstitute.org.
0: Institute. Kateri Institute. Kateri org. Very good. Yes. Thanks, yeah. Kishore.